And welcome, my friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. And today we have a very special program lined up for you, my friends, because every one of us goes through periods of difficult suffering, pain, sometimes chronic pain that goes on for a long time. Uh, And some suffer more than others, no question about it. But there are times in which we go through the dark valleys, the dark valley of the soul, and we wonder why. And we ask those questions, don't we? Uh, So... Certainly the Swansons are not exempt from any of this. We've been through some extremely difficult, extremely difficult trials that we would never have anticipated. And yet uh, Psalm 143, Psalm 142, Psalm 77, Psalm 27, Psalm 46. uh, These are the Psalms that have helped us. Psalm 42 as well. These are the Psalms that have helped us through some of the hardest times. So, of course, be in the Psalms. I mean, I just say that from the outset because the psalmist represents the uh, every emotion that is experienced in the human soul. But uh, today, David Libby joins me. He is the author of a new book called A Different World, God's Sovereignty in the Face of Suffering. And uh, we just enjoyed quite a bit of time of fellowship uh, off air. And uh, I think he's got some really good things to uh, share and I think David is uh, is one who can exemplify one who has been through it big time and I want uh, David you to give something of uh, some background to the struggles that you guys have been through but welcome to the generations broadcast David David Libby well thank you Kevin I'm very very glad to be here I appreciate the opportunity very much uh, yeah. we've been listeners my wife introduced me to your podcast um, some time ago and she used to always tell me you need to hear this guy because he, he uh, says the same things that you say. So anyway, <laughs> okay. I'm very glad to be here. And, well, we have the uh, same source book. You know, we, we, we draw from the same material. Sure do. Uh, so <laughs> that's not too hard to do. Uh, we don't take credit Correct. for any of that, yeah. do we? So, well, we do not. That's um, right. But let's, let's get a little bit of your background before we get into The Different World, the new book that uh, is just released. And by the way, it is available on Amazon.com, and just do a search for it. You'll find it. Amazon.com, A Different World, God's Sovereignty in the Face of Suffering. But give us a little bit of background. How, what have you been through as a family? Give us that last 25 years in a nutshell as best as you can. 30 years ago, I married my very best friend, and we both were the kind of people that you know, take life by the storm, I guess you might say. We, mm-hmm. you know, we were very active. We were outdoorsmen. We hunted, fished, um, did a lot of hiking, and we had big plans. And I think we had maybe one good year before my wife's health really began to decline. Mm. And there were times when it was, when the illness was very serious. You know, she was debilitated. Uh, many times spent in the hospital for a week at a time. And wow. times she was doing a little better, but, but she, you know, right from right from the very beginning of our marriage, um, has been ill, and uh, we had two daughters, uh, oldest daughter named Kayla and youngest daughter named Bethany, and okay. and they uh, were doing fine. In fact, they grew up, you know, really helping take care of their mother until about their mid-teens, and then their health fell apart. Huh. And you know, they had a very uh, very promising prospects for careers. Classical musicians, Kayla played violin very well, and Bethany played cello extremely well and they both were offered all tuition paid full scholarships to you know school of music here in Maine and so forth but th- then their lives kind of fell apart as their health fell apart hmm. and the the diagnosis which was missed for many many years because of inadequate testing and that sort of thing was initially Lyme disease but a whole lot of other complications came along with that 
and the the symptoms were extreme at times you know there were times when they you know they were they were not only physically ill but also mentally ill at times um you know severe wow. pain throughout the body sick all the time uh seizures multiple times per day my wow. youngest daughter you know kind of coined, coined a new phrase for these episodes she called them the badness and if they were really really bad she called them the bad badness uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know she would have these bad episodes where she was really debilitated um psychotic episodes severe pain seizures and you know as i told you off air kevin it got so bad there were times when i'd be up all night with her yeah um and she'd be you know pleading with god to just take her life um and you know there were times when all three were ill at the same time and you know it was, it was very very difficult mm. probably about a 10 to 15 year period was was very difficult wow um, and wow. they're still not well now but they they're doing a whole lot better they're actually okay. able to function both daughters have found men who you know, good christian men who would, would marry them so my youngest daughter just got married last fall, so that's sweet. You know, by God's grace, they're doing a whole lot better. But mm-hmm. for you know, ten to fifteen years, the suffering was was uh, truly intense. And there are certain people that go through, you know, intensive suffering, orders of magnitude more difficult than others. And uh, and then sometimes you ask the question, why us? I mean, did that ever occur to you? Yes, it sure did. Uh-huh. Uh, it's interesting how we can know the right answers to these questions before we. Um, before we suffer, uh, that was the case with me. My girls grew up being, you know, fed a very careful, you know, diet of systematic theology. You know, they knew the catechisms, and right. we, you know, read you know several chapters of scripture every night together, and um, and so they knew they knew the right answers, and I did as well. So, but so you, when we're really put to the test, the the, the why hard. me and the why questions still seem to come up to the fore, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, you can you get the 477 series of sermons on the sovereignty of God, and yet when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, it's quite another thing to hold on to those beliefs and know that God is good, ultimately good, and he knows what he's doing. His purpose is perfect, but why me? Always, but why me? So we're, we're, we're struggling with trust. Isn't, isn't that it? I mean, it, it, these are tests. I mean, you are walking through fire, and now are you going to trust God? You're, you're you know, out of the boat, walking on the water. The waves have picked up. Will you trust in Jesus now? It's tough. It's tough. Mm. It's a tough trial. It is very tough, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the points that I make in the book is that serious trials like these actually give us an opportunity to glorify God in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise, and uh, yeah. the reason why is because when we're put to the test and we, you know, when God in his promise delivers to us circumstances that the world would consider as, as you know, meat grounds to, you know, curse his face and die, but instead we love him all the more and remain true to him, you know, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, then we've actually been presented with an opportunity to glorify him in ways that, you know, in a way that we would not have had or, or to a degree that we would not have had had we not been in the fires of affliction. So he's really looking you in the eye and he's asking you that question. Will you trust in me now? Will you trust in me now? He's asking me that question, isn't he? I can testify personally, and I believe that all three of my ladies could as well, that it really felt to us as though that were literally happening. Yeah. You know, he were looking us in the eye and saying, will you trust me now? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. 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 And how did you do? Looking back, it was probably a growing experience, Uh, right? All the way through. It was definitely a growing experience. I, I can say with honesty, I did very well at times, and I did very poorly at times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's the big lesson? And, and, and when I did very well, I, 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 I credit God's grace yeah. for that. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's the big lesson? I mean, we're going to go into the book just a little bit more, but uh, what's the big lesson on the front end of this? <clears throat> well, the big lesson, I would say, I guess I would look at that two ways as as somebody who um, is a true servant of the Lord Jesus, who, who truly loves the Lord. Um, the big lesson is that it has drawn me closer to him. I, I trust him more and I love him more now than I did before. Mm-hmm. So there's been this you know, subjective experience, you know, God has a lot more of my heart now than he had before, and not just my head, but my heart as well. Uh, the other way that I would answer it is, you know, the, the analytical uh, philosopher in me was forced to grapple with deep questions in ways that I never had before. Um, my youngest daughter is also a, um, you know, philosophically inclined person and a good philosopher knows how to push back against answers until they're driven right down to their very foundation. And so she helped force um, a, a lot of grappling with, with hard questions. And so I believe I understand uh, better than, than I did before how to answer the difficult questions around a life of suffering, you know, the theological, yeah. philosophical questions. Um, and and you're, you almost have an authoritative so, position to do so. I mean, you know, any atheist that says, yeah, but what about the problem of suffering and pain? You could say, well, we've been there and done that and got all the T-shirts. And here's the right. answer. And here's here's my faith is f- is firmly placed in this truth. You can say that now, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, what about your wife and daughters? How, how are they doing? I mean, where are they at when it comes to all of this that they've experienced? Oh, they're doing very well too. Okay. Um, it's grown their faith. Um, my youngest daughter particularly had a time of what looked like a close to apostasy. Um, I don't think it went that far. I know it didn't go that far, but she really, really struggled for a while. Um, Anger at God. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. she's doing great now. Praise God. Praise God. She's been through it. Okay. Well, let's get back into the book just for a little bit. Um, I want to talk about um, some of the arguments that uh, are brought up against uh, Christianity on this, you know, problem of pain the mm-hmm. disteleological argument uh you know that's trying to undermine uh the idea that uh there is purpose for the universe that somehow the suffering and pain right. has undermined uh, god's good purpose and working out of good for for this universe for the entire universe right right yeah the the disteleological argument um term coined by ernst heckel restatement of of philosophy that Hume uh, presented in in the dialogues concerning natural religion, um, and others have as well. Um, Darwin certainly did, you know, in, in Heckel's day. Yeah. Uh, but the argument essentially is: How is it that a perfect God, or a God who cannot make mistakes, has created a world so full of mistakes as this one is? Uh, and it's a really good question. Uh, and the the way that pop culture Christianity, I often call it typically answers this question is uh well you've got in the you know the the i almost hate to include this in christianity because you know you get the health and wealth false gospel that says well god doesn't want us having any any troubles um if you just had enough faith you wouldn't have any um that sort of thing and then you've got the um probably the most common answer is <clears throat> found in what i would call the free will response um, in order for god to give us free will he had to risk allowing evil and, and mm-hmm. suffering and cause suffering as a result of evil and, and that sort of thing and um i also find that argument inadequate um i do believe of course in free will the westminster confession has a whole section on free will 
But I guess the problem with that argument is that it confuses freedom with autonomy, you know, self-rule. Um, you know, we um, there are degrees of freedom. There are no degrees of autonomy. Uh, autonomy is an absolute term. So if God had to risk allowing evil and suffering um, against his will, then, then first of all, we've compromised the doctrine of God's sovereignty. You know, if there's any mm-hmm. corner of his creation or any you know, dark hidden place where he's not in control, then he's not a sovereign God. Sovereignty is also an absolute term. Right. Uh, but also we have a very serious problem if, 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 if that were true uh, in this world, then what about the next world? Will, uh, you know, will God have to risk allowing evil and suffering in heaven in order to maintain human free will? I don't think so. So I would argue that the fact is that God could have given us a free will that would only be inclined toward good. He could have given us a free will that um, would never choose to sin, would never make that sort of a you know, really um, irrational bad choice. Uh, he, he could have placed us in a, in, a, uh, in a world where there's no temptation to sin and to, you know, to fall right. into sin. So, um, so anyway, I find the free will argument inadequate. Effectively, you know, you're, you're heading towards the answer that God gave to Job in the last few chapters of the book. Uh, you know, that, that's the answer, really, for all of us. Remember when I had COVID? Yeah. This would have been, you know, what, three years ago I had COVID. So for a week, I okay. went through the book of Job. <laughs> was, I just went through the whole book of Job, oh, yeah. read yeah. the whole book, got sure. it down, and said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm better understanding suffering now. But the book of Job helps us mm-hmm. on this, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does, yeah. Um, the book of Job essentially gives us what I would call an end-of-the-line answer. There are, there are other good answers before we get to the book of Job. You know, God is glorified in the display of his uh, justice against the, um, the reprobate, um, as hard as that is for us to hear, God, you know, God's word tells us over and over again that He's that He's glorified in the outpouring of His just wrath against the wicked. He's glorified in the demonstration of His grace and mercy um, to those who are among His elect. And of course, without a fall into sin and without you know subsequent suffering and that sort of thing, then He wouldn't have the occasion to glorify Himself in that way. But those are still answers that can be pushed back against. You know, why didn't He create a world? where we're, you know, pre-sanctified, or um, couldn't we be glorified in some other way? And, you know, the human mind is, is able to, you know, rationalize all sorts of ways in which the world could be, could be improved upon. But the answer that we find in the end of the book of Job is, you know, this is a bit of a paraphrase, but I think a, a fairly decent one. The answer is, he is God and I'm not. Mm-hmm. He knows better than I do how this world needs to be run. He knows, he knows better than I do what most glorifies him, and he knows better than I do, how my life should be laid out for me. The answer to the problem of evil, uh, as I've studied it most recently, is that, uh, you know, the the atheists are presenting with us the, the case of God being ultimately good, God being ultimately powerful, but if he's both, mm-hmm. then evil simply cannot exist in the world. But here's the problem. They forget one more aspect of God's nature, and that is his wisdom. God is not only ultimately good, not only ultimately powerful, mm-hmm. but he's also ultimately wise. And so that's why Paul comes down to the point at the end of Romans chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, who has been a counselor to God, you know, who has first given to him that it should be rendered back to him again. So for us... To, to even question God's wisdom 
It's God's wisdom that will produce the ultimate good. Obviously, his power as well. But without his wisdom in the right. equation, we've got a big problem. Our issues were two-year-olds. Dad's pulling a splinter out of our finger, and mm-hmm. we don't particularly like it. But we're two-year-old. I think if we approach this thing remembering that we're the two-year-old and we don't do very well running universes, that's probably a good position to be in. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. I actually compared us to something a little lower in the the atheist evolutionary development, which I don't agree with, um, than a two-year-old. I I, I give that argument in a chapter that I titled, You Are a Clam. And the reason I titled the chapter that was because one night when Bethany was having a really bad episode of what what she called bad badness, the you know seizures and psychotic stuff and severe pain and um, you know wishing her life were over and you know I was by her bed in, into the wee hours of the night and or wee hours of the morning and when it was finally all all over, she accused God of having subjected her to pointless suffering you know, were, were her own words and so the argument that I gave her was respecting. Our insight into the secret counsel of God, we're clams. Now, I you know, made it clear we're not clams in every respect. We're human beings made in the image of God and you know, deeply loved by him. If we're among his elect, the, you know, the, all the love that we read about in Romans 8 is ours. So we're not clams in every respect, but respecting our you know, insight into the secret counsel of God, you know, we're, we're clams. Mm-hmm. Um, is it helpful to know some of the purposes of suffering? And, and do we get that insight? Absolutely. Through scripture. It's so that's helpful. Absolutely. We we won't know all of it. Absolutely. But it's it's helpful to know something. And was that helpful for you? Absolutely. Absolutely right. So <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, please forgive me if I've given the impression that we are not given any insights in scripture. We're given given a lot of insight in scripture as to why we suffer and yeah. and the benefits of it. And and it's very very helpful. Um And you've got we, a chapter on that in uh, the book can, as well. Yes, yes I do. Yep. Um I've got, <clears throat> well, actually, that's addressed in more than one chapter, but there's one chapter where I talk about the, 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 the love of God, and that is actually one of the, I believe, one of the reasons why he ordained a, will, a world filled with suffering is because it, it gave him the occasion to glorify himself by an outpouring of love that would be less poignant were there no fall into sin. You know, the, the redemption of the bride of Christ uh, gave God the occasion to demonstrate an amazing outpouring of love. You know, he mm-hmm. um, he paid the penalty for our sins. Uh, he, you know, he he entered this world with us, this world of suffering, and uh, walked through it with us. And he suffered uh, not only with us but for us. Um, so, uh, but in that chapter, I give some exposition of Second Corinthians four. Oh, I think fifteen or sixteen through on in a chapter five. You know where we're told by the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul that, um, you know, these momentary light afflictions that we endure now are actually working for us an eternal weight of glory. So, you know, we need this heavenly perspective to understand really um, what our purpose is here in this life. You know, we, we, we can't understand divine teleology without understanding that this life is not all there is. There's a heavenly eternity awaiting us, uh, and this changes our perspective. And that change in perspective is never more poignantly affected for us than in the fires of affliction, in my opinion. One of the verses that has helped me tremendously, David, is the uh, Romans 8, obviously 28, all things work together for good, but also Mm -hmm. the element where we find out that we are lambs to the slaughter, 
you know, we are lambs to the slaughter, yet in all these things, more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I think the hardest thing for me when I was in the darkest of the dark valleys of my life was to to come to the conclusion that what was happening now would constitute the good versus, you know, the good being something I would experience later. Where You know, it was hard for me to say the thing that I'm going through right now is good because it will contribute to and constitute something of the overall goodness of what defines my life in this life and eternity. So, in other words, you know, the, 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 the phrase in all these things, in, in the fact that we are right now suffering the persecution, tribulations, trials, and swords, uh, is a contribution to or constitutes our victory, the victory itself. That itself uh, contributes to the fact that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So that, that helps um, nevertheless does not decrease the pain and suffering of the moment. Correct, yeah. It does help an awful lot, and that points us right back to that heavenly perspective that I was talking about minutes ago. Uh, you know, How is it that we can be more than conquerors? Now, you're exactly right. Uh, the Holy Spirit didn't say through the Pentapol in Romans 8 that, you know, don't worry, you're being led as lands for slaughter, but one day you'll be victorious. One day you'll conquer. Um, but he says, in these things, you are more than conquerors right, right now. How can that be? Right, right. Um, now, it can be because this little you know, microcosmic uh, perspective that we have here in this life is, is really not the correct pers- perspective. Right. Why the title? Let's get back okay. to the title for just a moment. A Different World. Yep. What do you mean by that? Well, the title was inspired by a fellow sufferer who was a very godly man, um, suffered in similar ways. It wasn't Lyme disease, but with chronic illness and it was debilitating and, you know, kind of in the prime of life. Um, thankfully, he had a wife who stuck with him. That doesn't always happen. But I could tell horror stories about spouses who have left chronically ill partners. Anyway, he suffered intensely. And, you know, he and I were talking once and he said, you know, Dave, we actually live in a different world. People don't understand this world that we live in. And I was already getting kind of started putting this book together and didn't have a title. And I thought, wow, that's a, a great title. And it's very true. Uh, we live in a different world. People who haven't suffered intensely for a long time don't understand the world that we live in, and and of course we can't expect them to. What is that world? What is it? It's a world where we n- not only have the head knowledge that this is a dark world. You know, God's word tells us over and over again this is a a dark world. We've got that in Isaiah chapter eight. You know, just prior to chapter nine, where we. You know, hear about the light coming into darkness, but many places in Scripture, this is a dark world. We know that. If we have studied God's Word at all, we know it's a dark world, but we don't really see it that way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot in this life that's pleasant. Right. Um, but if we reach a point where we don't see anything else in this life but darkness, then we've entered a different world. We, we come to know it experientially. It's in that world that you've got to see the light. Right. You've got to see it. Yeah, that's right. And the only yeah. light is Jesus. The he, only light is he, Jesus. That's his right. resurrection, his, the hope of glory. That's it, isn't it? Right. Wow, and that is the test, yeah. friends. Some, some will go through it over a 10, 15-year period, some over a 10 to 15-day period, some at the end of their lives. Certainly as you mm, end right. your life, you're going to walk through that valley of darkness. The Bible calls it the valley of the shadow of death. 
And, uh, right. Yeah. You will walk through that valley. And now will you see the light? Will you experience the hope of the resurrection? Will you feel the love of God and the fellowship of Jesus as you walk through those sufferings? I guess that's the question, isn't it? It is the question. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, um, we don't really know that love experientially. We don't feel that love to the same extent before the trials as we do during and after. Okay. You know, when we're actually okay. in that valley of the shadow of death and he's walking there with us and we know he is, then that's when it becomes real. Okay. Well, friends, touching the very heart of suffering on this edition of the Generations broadcast. And let me encourage you to the book, A Different World, God's Sovereignty in the Face of Suffering. The author is David Libby. He's been our guest on this edition. Again, the book is A Different World, God's Sovereignty in the Face of Suffering, available right now at Amazon.com. David, thank you. Uh, I think we did the best we could to just touch the surface of this and try to get a little closer to the heart of it, uh, but uh, encourage folks to the books. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it an awful lot. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 